0: Well, we've got the distinct honor of having Dr. Just with us once again, and, uh, well, everyone knows Dr. Just, I think. (laughs) Professor at the Fort Wayne Seminary, good friend, family friend of mine, and spiritual father for many, including me. Um, You're you're teaching on justice and mercy, correct? I am. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, if you would like to lead us in a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. With your spirit, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all good gifts, the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the gift of marriage, the gift of mercy. We thank you for allowing us to gather into the presence of your Son on this day of Resurrection on this eighth day, so that we might partake of his, of His eternal life. Be with us now as we look into Your holy word and guide us by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Bless we the Lord. Be Good. Now I don't I don't know what Pastor Bruzek said last week about this topic so I'm kind of free to talk about it. (laughs) We did exchange a few emails, and I think many of you know that the way in which we have really become fast friends is because we've been teaching at Arcadia for seven of the last eight years. And that's, in a way, how our families became fast friends. There they are, they're sitting together back there, Kirby and Linda (laughs) And we have this wonderful week together and we talk a lot of theology and stuff. This last year we did Beauty, and I think you know where that comes from. That's a topic that is, I think, uh, one you've worked at uh, here at St. John's quite a bit. Well, in the course of one of my sessions, and this is something that I just started talking about in this way last year. I started, I started talking about justice people and mercy people. And I don't know if this is the, the genesis of this, this Bible study, but I guess he told me that you worked on Matthew a little bit last week. Okay. And um, I emailed him back and I said, I'm going to show them that I know another gospel besides Luke. And so I'm going to talk about Matthew 2. And I want to look at two passages with you today as a way of kind of, you know, fleshing out more at least what I'm thinking about in terms of justice and mercy. Um, let's go right to those passages because we only have a half hour. So if you would go to chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and um, I'm going to have somebody read it in a minute, stand up and read nice and loud, but uh, as an introduction, this is the gospel for the Feast of St. Matthew, which is this month, and um, it has a statement in there, you'll see it in verse, um, let me find it here, verse 13 that it's one of the, and I say this all the time, it's a way, but I wish this was in Luke's gospel, but it's not. Only Matthew has it. Um, Luke has this this, um, recording of the call of Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. But only Matthew has, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners, and if you read Luke's gospel, he adds to repentance, which is you know a nice, a nice addition there. Um, but, but that passage from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For many years, I thought long and hard about what that meant, and I'm not sure that it was until very recently that I felt I had somewhat of a handle on that verse. In fact, it was that verse that got me talking about mercy people and justice people, which may be the generation of this Bible study. But anyway, um, this is the call of a sinner, a a terrible sinner. And and you you probably know the the background on Levi. He's a Jew. And uh, on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, right there between really what was Israel and what was called the Decapolis, which is where the ten Gentile cities was, there was a toll booth. This is very near to Capernaum, where Jesus was from, where the feeding of the 5,000 was from. If you go to Israel, they try to show you where they think that booth was. And so a a tremendous amount of traffic went through this toll booth. It's like a border crossing, really. And Matthew was most likely one of the tax collectors associated with that. And being a Jew, taking taxes for the Romans put him in a very, very bad kind of light among the Jews. He was considered a terrible sinner. And so for Jesus to come to his house, to want to have fellowship with him at the table, I mean, this was a tremendous scandal. And Jesus would have been considered unclean and outcast for associating with somebody like Matthew. And uh, this is one of the things that we're going to look at him. I want to look at one more passage with you, but I want to talk a little bit about this and talk about the nature of Jesus' ministry as one of mercy. I'm not sure everybody understood it that way, even John the Baptist. And we're going to go to chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel and look at how John, perhaps, was thinking about who Jesus was. So, who's got a nice, loud voice who can stand up? and read verses 9 through 13, please. A volunteer. There he is. Not come to call the righteous. There's justice. That's the word for justice. But sinners to repentance. Um, There are some in the world of Christendom who believe that in order to be forgiven by God you have to come in repentance. I think most of us would probably resonate a little bit with that. You know, we make people be sorry first before they receive absolution. And in many ways, that's true, isn't it? But I'm not sure that's the way it is with Jesus. Jesus takes you just as you are, broken. You don't have to prove anything to Jesus. You don't have to prove you're worthy. You don't have to show him that you're, you have to be sick. You have to be sick. And there isn't one person who is not. There's not one person in this world who doesn't need God's mercy. I think at the time of Jesus, and you know this, there were many who had different understandings of what the Messiah was going to be. In fact, I think the disciples, and I'm going to try and argue with you that John the Baptist was even one of them, who saw Jesus as somebody who was going to come with power, more power military power maybe political power that he was going to come because there are there certainly are texts that have a a larger you know I would use the word apocalyptic but I mean more of a kind of a a sense that God is going to come and get the enemies of God you know when the Messiah comes there's going to be this this great cleansing of, of everybody who's against God and I think people at the time of Jesus were looking for that Messiah to come and get Israel's enemies, throw the Romans out, give the land back to Israel. I mean, they really saw it in those concrete kind of ways. And yet, I mean, you know the the Gospels. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. I mean, the, the thing that is probably shocking about Jesus is that it's so understated, you know, And um, this is not in Matthew's Gospel, it's in Luke's Gospel, but it's that sermon in Nazareth. It's one of the most important sermons where Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me.'" This is where he talks about the program that he's gonna do. Why is the Spirit of the Lord upon me? To preach good news to the poor. You know, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to, to the blind, to send away those who are oppressed in freedom and release. You know, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of jubilee. And you know what the year of jubilee is about? That's when people who are in bondage, people who are in prison, people who are in debt, are set free. It's fiftieth year. You know, you hear it sometimes in the Roman Catholic Church, the year of jubilee. You know, uh, people are set free, and that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to set people free, but not what you think. He comes to people who are broken by sin and who are broken in their bodies, you know, who are possessed with Satan. And he even raises the dead. That, that's what he does. He's a miracle worker of concrete, physical things, but not, not to kind of get an army together and throw out the bums. You know? Now, there, there were some really, I mean, you, you talk about the zealots, you know, you hear about the zealots at the time, of Jesus. Some of you probably have heard of them. They they all come from the Dead Sea. They thought John was one of them. You know, these people who come up and really want vengeance against the Romans. There actually was a group all through the first century called the Sicarii. Have you ever heard of that? That's The knives, they had these big, long knives. You know, and they they would enter a crowd. You know, they'd put the knife underneath their, I think I've talked about this here in terms of Paul, and they'd just slit people. In a crowd, people would just die in the, you know, in the in the festivals of Pentecost and Tabernacles, because these people were not faithful Jews, or they were against the Zealots' understanding that when the Messiah comes, that what we want is we want to, you know, have victory concretely over the enemies of God. Now let's let's go back to this passage. I desire mercy not sacrifice. What's with sacrifice? That's where I I think I understand mercy, maybe, but but it was always sacrifice, because I thought sacrifice was a good thing. I mean, that's what the temple was about, the sacrifices, the blood, the blood that looked forward to to the Messiah coming, or the Passover sacrifice, which was blood. Blood is good. Sacrifice is good. Temple is good, basically, although there are some abuses there, but why does Jesus say I desire mercy not sacrifice? Yes, back way back. What's that? Yes. Wow, first time, bang. We got it. That's it. I mean, he doesn't want people to try to get their own justice because the justice is going to be on him. That's the hard part for us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, not yours. I'll take the pound of flesh, says God, and I'm not going to take it out on the enemies of God. And thank God I'm not going to take it out on you, because I'm going to take it out on Jesus. So understand that the sacrifice is always about Jesus. And when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he is focusing them all on the cross. I think he could have said it this way. I desire mercy, not anything else, but the sacrificial death that I am to accomplish on the cross. That's where you look for sacrifice. Because I am calling all sinners to myself there. Everything. Now, let's go to Matthew 11, because I only have a half hour. I'm going to move forward, and then I'll just leave you completely muddled, and then I'll come back. I, 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 I uh, told Pastor Bruzik when he asked me to preach this day, I hadn't looked at the text for Sunday, the gospel lesson. And I wrote him back, and I said, I know why you're leaving that weekend, because you don't want to preach on divorce and adultery. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> you want a guest preacher to come in and talk about that. So I said, oh, but anyway, look, look at Matthew 11, um, verses 1 to 6. Both Luke and, and uh, Matthew have this. It's a little different, but not a lot. And um, n- notice how it begins there. He's with his 12 and he's teaching and preaching in their city. So this is part of the, you know, the rhythm of Jesus' life. But then you get this very interesting scene, and I know you know this scene, because it's, it's used <clears throat> on Reformation Day, among others. It's, the Reform, it's one of the Reformation Day texts. But uh, if I could have another reader for 2 through 6, Matthew 11, 2 through 6, please. Somebody read. Go ahead. Yeah. Nice and loud. Stand up so we can hear you. Okay, where's John? In prison, right? He's in prison. Now, remember what I said before from Isaiah 61, the Messiah is going to set the captives free. Concretely, captives, set them free. Um, I don't know if it was John, maybe it was his disciples. I think it was John. John is in prison. He's Jesus' cousin. Why? Why? doesn't John be released from prison by Jesus? That's what Jesus is supposed to come and do. And what what does, you know, see what it says? He sent through his disciples and he said. Now, you know, maybe maybe it's just the disciples and John is trying to clarify things for them. But what does the question to John really say? Are you the coming one? Or should we expect another? Do you know what that means? You know, that's a technical term. He who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the Advent theme. That's the, who, the, who is the coming one? The Messiah. They're asking, are you the Messiah? We're, we're wondering about this. And then there's that little phrase. It's different in Luke. But here, I, it's a wonderful phrase. What, what does it say that they heard about? What was your translation? the what of Jesus. The deeds, the works of Jesus. What do you think that references? His miracles of healing, of releasing. His miracles of what? Mercy, mercy, mercy. And I think, I I myself, I've always said this, I know some people don't like it, but I've always said it's John. He's rotting in prison. I think he comes out of the, the zealot area, even though he knows better, probably should know better, He's human, too. He wonders, is Jesus the Messiah, or are we going to expect another? Now, if somebody came to you, and you were the Messiah, and they said to you, are you the Messiah, what would be a natural response? Yes. yes. Right? You know, now, in Luke's gospel, he doesn't speak at first. What he does is he performs miracles. He raises the dead, you know, and heals the sick, and casts out demons, and then he says to them, Go and tell John what things you hear and you see. What you hear from the prophets and what you see. And here he quotes Isaiah. It's um, Isaiah 29, verse 18. And just listen. This, here, is, here is the demonstration that I am the Messiah. The blind see. The lame walk around. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and then those poor, they have the gospel preached to them. Now these aren't, these aren't you know, symbolic. These are not spiritual categories. These are concrete acts of miracles. They'd heard about the works of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus. And Jesus said, here is the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament said the Messiah was going to be and every one of them knew that these miracles were acts of God's mercy. Acts of God's mercy. And then that wonderful beatitude, it is a beatitude, blessed is the one who does not stumble. Take offense, okay? Stumble. The, 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 in, in Greek it's scandalon, scandal. Who is not scandalized in me. Scandalized in me. Now see, I think... John was a little scandalized. He was stumbling over Jesus. He wasn't quite sure that this was what he expected the Messiah to be. I think he expected a little bit more vengeance. Oh, I wish I had more time. Because if we, if we went back to that passage in Luke's Gospel, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, you know, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And, and then the, la- the last line that Luke quotes is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then you know what the next passage in Isaiah is? To proclaim the vengeance of our God. Now, Jesus doesn't quote that. I mean, he could have said it. It's, it's actually part of the same verse. In fact, he's breaking it off grammatically. I mean, he actually, he kind of ends before it's completed. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Because I don't think he wants them to think that part of his messianic task is to have vengeance on, on others. Because blessed is he who sees that Jesus is the locale of God's vengeance. That justice is going to be meted against Jesus. Now, there are so many passages like this. Um, There's one in, in, again, it's Luke, I'm sorry, but Luke 12. You know, Jesus says, he says, you know, fire I have come to cast on the earth. Jesus says this, fire I have come to cast on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. It's Luke 12, 49. And then he says this, a baptism I must be baptized with and how I wish it were already happening. Now, those are really difficult words. It's ob- he's obviously speaking symbolically. You're not going to find any place literally where Jesus casts fire on the earth. It doesn't happen. In fact, what do his disciples, the great sons of Zebedee, you know, John and Jesus, uh, John and uh, James, excuse me, what do they want? You know, They're preaching the gospel in Samaria. They're not listening. And so they come back to Jesus and they say, you know, Let's cast fire on them, you know? Let's get them, because they're not listening to us, you know? And Jesus calms them down like he always does. And They're the ones who want to sit on the right hand and the left hand, you know? They're the... Je- Jesus doesn't want them to cast fire on the enemies of God, you know? And Jesus never does that. You never see him do that, really. In fact, the times he gets really impatient with people, like today's text, Matthew 10, is when people are reading things through the law and not through the gospel. You know? That's what the whole text is about today. The Pharisees are looking at what is a God given gift, marriage, as law. That's really what it is. And Jesus, he gets pretty upset with them and he kind of lays it down really, you know, in markets, really, really. But I mean, he says, no, I don't want to see things in terms of justice and law. I want you to see it as mercy, as gospel. And, and that passage, fire I came to cast on the earth, well, you know what Jesus is talking about there, and every commentator who you read on this will tell you. The fire, what is fire an image of in the, in the scriptures? It's a lot of things, but what primarily in the Old Testament is it? God's what? Well, his presence is what? His what? But I mean, fire. Fire destroys. Fire is hell. Fire is wrath. The fire in the Old Testament, the fire of God is the fires of his wrath, his wrath against sin. You know what it is? It's his desire for justice. It's his desire for justice. And when Jesus says, fire I came to cast on the earth, he's talking about himself. The fire of God's wrath is going to be on him. It's going to kill him. The wrath of God is going to kill Jesus. That's what he's saying there. He's saying that when I am lifted up on the cross, you're going to see fire cast on the earth like no other time in the history of the world. And it's going to get dark. I know I've said this to you before, but I'll say it again. Remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ? Everybody said it was too darn bloody. It, was too, it wasn't bloody enough. Because there's justice right there. That is the ultimate moment of justice. And it was the most horrific, most violent, bloody event ever. Never get more bloody than that. Even the destruction of Jerusalem was not as horrific as Jesus' death. And what happened to this world? In order for God's mercy to come once and for all in Jesus. I mean, that's the great comfort, that God is not against us, his wrath. And then I'll just finish. The blood, you know, baptism in blood, you know, a baptism I must be baptized with. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his bloody bath. He talks about the cross as a bath. Blessed is he who is not scandalized in the fact that Jesus is the one who meets out God's justice, that it's satiated in him. Now, we're almost done here, so I better... You, you're gonna, you're, I mean, all you have to do is walk around and listen to Christian radio, talk to people, and there are people who think that God is still trying to get them, that God is a, a God whose justice is going to be leveled against their sin. And they're afraid of God. They're afraid that, that because they sin, God is going to get them. And uh, they don't see God as primarily a God mercy. In fact, that is what he is. That doesn't mean that there isn't going to be moments of justice in this world. I mean, there is law and we need to live under the law, law even divorce. Jesus Matthew, read Matthew, read the parallel to Mark and Matthew, and Jesus says, "So it's not in Mark, you know, in the cases of sexual immorality, there, you can divorce. Jesus says it, and Paul gives even more, because Paul knows how hard it is to live in this world, in a world of sin, as husband and wife. So there are, there are ways in which the gospel gets trampled on. So there is times for justice. There has to be. But that's not the way God is in his nature. That's not the way God is. And the prodigal son is the greatest example of this. Oh, I mean, there's two repentances there, you know. I mean, when he comes to his senses, he's sorry. He's screwed up. He's going to die. And when, he, when you get to the point where you're going to die, You usually kind of, you know, that's a clarifying moment, put it that way. So he's sorry. He comes back and he says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven too. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he says this, and this is the Pharisee speaking in him. He thinks of it in terms of justice. Make me as one of your hired servants. Give me some laws, give me some things to do. I'll work my way back. I can do it. I'm really sorry. I did sin. I am repentant. I'm very sorry. But I'll find a way to make it back. And that's what he intends to do. Until, and I've, I've said this, That's I mean, I'm sure Pastor Bruzik's talked about old school. Has he talked about that book. You know, it's my favorite passage in Luke's gospel where the father who every day is waiting for that son at the end of the the big road on his estate, see that son come. And when he sees him, the son coming, and he knows the son's repentant, he wouldn't be back if he wasn't. If he was doing well, he'd be out there doing his thing. But he's coming back, and the father doesn't even think about anything else but girding his loins, you know what that means? Pulls up his robe, ties it, you know, so you see the old man's legs, nobody's supposed to see it. The whole village is watching this. He runs on these spindly little legs to this, you know, and what does he do before the son says anything? Throws his arms around him, kisses him, and then the son says this to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's it. That's it. No, you know, I'm going to try to be just about this. I'm going to work my way back. Nothing like that. He totally responds to mercy. And that's how Jesus wants us to come. Knowing that we are broken and that he's going to take us no matter what. Even even though we are sinners. Anyway. It's time. Any final questions? I'll let Pastor Brusick clean all this up for you. (laughs) It's, It's my way of returning the favor. Um, can I have a commercial, please? Uh, some of you know that we take trips, Linda and I, we're going to Spain in February and March. This is our fifth or sixth trip with Dr. Scare. Some of you know Dr. Scare. Um, we would love to have folks go with us. We It's not a biblical tour in the way in the others have been, Greece and Turkey and places, but there are lots of great Christian Churches, sites, and Spain is a wonderful place, and I've had a lot of experience in Spain. So if you're interested, there are brochures. We're, we're a little tight this year because of the economy, as you might know. And uh, if you want to know what fun we have, ask the Pashkis. They've been with us on how many? Three? Three of them. So yeah, we've been enjoyed having them along. So anyway, that's my commercial. I promised my <coughs> wife I would do that. All right. Any, anybody have a final thought? Okay. mercy not sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the mercy of your Son, his love, his forgiveness, that he comes and accepts us as we are, broken, contrite, but people who can do nothing to receive what he gives help us to come like children in humility and in simple faith receiving from him the gift that comes at the enormous sacrifice of his very life for us. Help us in our lives to embody that mercy, to embody that love, to go out into the world knowing that we are his mercy people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.